um, um, passage that talks about women, and, uh, but I didn't go there this time. Uh, so this time I chose verses 8 and 9. Speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. Speak for them and be a righteous judge. Protect the rights of the poor and needy. Great, great encouragement. It doesn't take long. Um, you can watch the news just about any day and say, you know, what in the world is kind of going on around here? I mean, where's God? There's a lot of chaos and violence and, and, and tension in the world. And if you're like me, you know, you, you, you'd sometimes stand back and say, you know, I, I think I might do things just a little bit differently if I was God, you know. And, and God says, yeah, I suppose you think so, Terry. But, um, you know, and, and, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time in a, in a three-week series. We're going to talk about times when God just doesn't seem to make sense. And we're going to read some, some stories in the scriptures that are really kind of perplexing. I mean, I, I look at them and... They can make sense, and you get it, but you look at some other aspects, and you go, I, I just don't get this. And, and so we're going to look at some, some things. And Because sometimes in life, we run up against some stuff. You know, it's in God's Word and in life that just doesn't make sense. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different stories from the New Testament. Today, I want to talk about when um, God just doesn't seem to be like he's paying attention to us. You know, when you're praying and it just doesn't seem like God hears the things that you're talking to him about. Next week, we'll talk about when God seems to be late. <laughs> you're waiting. And you're waiting. And you wait. And you wait. Move on, Terry. But you wait. You wait. You wait. And uh, then the, the week after that, we're going to talk about times when God just doesn't seem to be cooperating. And uh, he's not doing what you know he should do. So have you ever prayed and it just didn't seem like... God was listening. You know, there's no right or wrong answer. So when a lot of people have felt that way. You've ever prayed and it didn't seem like, yeah, there's a lot of us, um, you know, you wait and it doesn't seem like he's there. And, some, and sometimes when that's going on, well-meaning people around us can make it a little bit harder. I mean, like you got that friend who you're waiting for something and you're praying about something and your friend comes up and tells you, oh, wow, God really moved my life today. Oh, really? Tell me. Well, I got the front parking spot at the mall on Christmas Eve. Like, okay, okay happy for you. God bless you. Get a life. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, or, 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 or you know, you hear those preacher stories, the preacher stories, right? You know, <laughs> where, you know, like, like I was just, the other day I was just out driving around looking for somebody that I could do a good deed because when I'm not praying and reading the Bible, that's what I do with my time all the time. That's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm driving along and um, none of you are within lightning strike range, so you just safe right where. And I'm driving along, and I see this car pulled over, and I think this lady needs help, some help with her flat tire. So I pull over, and I, and I, and uh, it's a sweet little lady, and I change her her spare tire for her, and she's so excited, and she says, "You know, I wish I had some way to show my appreciation, but I don't have anything except I happen to be a palm reader." So before I knew it, and she was happened to be a. a crack smoking palm reader she grabs my hand turns it over and she says hey there's your lines make a cross i said yes that's because jesus christ is my savior and she says but your hand's hot and i said yes would you like to receive the lord and she says yes of course i want to see the and she receives god right then and, and the police car that had come up behind us the cop hears the whole thing and says can i have jesus too and i said well of course you can have jesus too so he gets saved and the two of them are so excited they run across the street and there's eight homeless people over there and they lead those eight homeless people to the lord and today, those eight homeless people are on the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association Board of Directors. And that was just yesterday. <laughs> Glory to God. And we hear these <laughs> stories. And, you know, you think, you know, that's not what happened in my life yesterday. That didn't go on. And, 
and you look at your friends and they're blessed and they got a job they love and they got a marriage that's going well and they barely serve Jesus at all and you're faithful and they just aren't. And you're thinking, you know, God, this math does not add up. And even though we're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it's... uh, it's hard, and our heart sometimes gives us this permission to create what I'm going to call a, a God calibrator, okay? A measurement of God's heart. We get this machine going in us that says, okay, I'm, I'm going to start to calibrate how correct God is. And it's kind of like the equivalent to being spiritually correct. We're going to see if God is social or spiritual or, or, or politically correct, but socially correct. God, are you correct? And, and the thing about allowing your heart to become a God calibrator is like, it's like making a flight to a black hole. If you, if, you're, if you know what a black hole is, it's like, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, Cygnus X1 or Sagittarius A. We're talking here about a black hole, though, that's just as dark and has just as much gravity. And if you allow yourself to become a calibrator of God's heart, there's gravity there and it will pull you in. And the more you start to allow yourself to do that, the stronger the gravity becomes, and it will eventually pull you into the point where you can't get out. And there's no light there. Here's the thing, though. God really doesn't mind the questions. What he minds is the conclusions that we reach that are wrong, that hurt us. So what do you do when you pray and God just seems silent? I mean, here's a key thought. What do you do when you're praying and it seems like God's God's silent? And I I hope that you'll embrace this. Just because God is silent does not mean that God is absent. Just because you may not hear him doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you. Just because you don't feel his presence doesn't mean that he's not with you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. And to illustrate this, I'm, I know we're going we're to spend a little time today in one of the more challenging stories, for me at least, in the Bible. And I, I got to tell you right up front, I do not like how this story ends. Okay? It comes to an end, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't like that ending. Not making a movie out of that. That's dumb. And the, <laughs> the, uh, the subject today is a guy named John the Baptist. Okay, so if, if you don't know much about John the Baptist, except that he was a member of the Baptist denomination, I guess, because they named him John the Baptist. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, so um, uh, <laughs> take that one off. Don't ever use that joke again. That's like, fly. <laughs> Um, but, okay, so John the Baptist was, you know, Jesus' cousin. Not his first cousin. Um, this is a, a cousin, he was a blood relative, because if, if you read some of the Gospels, will tell you that, that Jesus' mother, Mary, was related, was cousins with Elizabeth, John's mother. But they weren't direct cousins, it was a leap or two. Okay, so, but anyway, they're blood relatives, okay, so far. And this guy was, was one very, very radical prophet. I don't mean radical as a wild, but I mean sold out. This guy did, you know, he wore animal skins, he ate locusts and honey. Um, okay, I mean, but he was very, very popular with the common people. He was, he was known for being, you know, in, uh, incorruptible. And, and it was that very character, standing for the truth, that gets him in deep trouble, I was going to say doo-doo, with the king. He's in deep trouble with the king, and, and it's because he stands up for righteousness. And here's the backstory story. So, so, so this guy named... It was King Herod Antipas, who, by the way, his father was King Herod the Great, 
was the one that tried to kill all the babies when he heard that a savior had been born. Okay, that's his father. Now his son is the king, and King Herod Antipas is, is, um, is kind of doing his kingly thing, and he's got his eyes on his brother's wife. Okay? He thinks he wants his brother's wife. So what does he do? He divorces his wife, and he marries his brother's wife, whose name is Herodias, and man, a scandal. Okay, there's a scandal. And, and John the Baptist is up in their grill. Hey, this is just plain flat out wrong. You, this is not right. And he's doing that. And Herod decides he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And he has him arrested, but he doesn't have his, him killed. But Herodias, Herod's new wife, wants him killed. So here's how this is recorded in Scripture. And we're in Mark 6, starting in verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him uh, bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Now, there's an interesting way to phrase this. The, Bi- the Bible calls Herodias still Philip's wife, even though Herod had married her. And, and, he, and, and so he says he arrests her because Herod, Herodias, you know, this because of this whole scandal thing. He's, he's upset. Next verse, verse 18. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He's saying, don't do this. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And he's standing for the truth. Verse 19. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. This woman wanted to kill him. Lesson number one, don't mess with women. Okay? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> At least not with this woman. She, she's out for blood. She wants to kill this guy. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Wow. He knows he's righteous. Goes on with life, arrest him anyway. So there's a lot, lot there, but we're not going to go down that trail today. But I want to look back, you know, step, step back from this and look at it subjectively and, and say, what do we see here? Okay, so first off, John the Baptist didn't do anything wrong. What he did was right. He, he just pointed people to Jesus. His calling was, according to the word of God, was to prepare a way for the Lord. He's just doing that. If anybody came to, to John the Baptist and said, hey, you're a pretty together leader. We're going to follow you. He'd say, no, 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 not me, him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Repent from your sins and follow that guy. He was very careful, always pointing the way to Jesus. And, and, and he, even, he even got to baptize Jesus. I mean, this guy was, and he stood up for truth, and, and he gets imprisoned for doing what's right, for standing up for Jesus. Now, if I'm John the Baptist, I'm thinking, I'm arrested now. I've been standing up for Jesus, you know, and Jesus is doing some miracles. So what do I believe? What do I expect is going to happen to me now because I've been in Jesus' corner doing all that kind of stuff? He's, I've been standing up for me. So he's, he's got to take care of this for me. He owes that to me. He needs to spring me here, get me out of this deal. And most likely, John is waiting in prison for Jesus to show what's going to happen. He's waiting. He's thinking, any minute now, any minute now, there's going to be a real ruckus in this prison because Jesus is going to round up all kinds of strength. I mean, Katniss Everdeen is going to be here, and John Rambo, and Dirty Harry, and the entire 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. They're all coming. 
And they pulled down the Soviet Union, okay, and that was no small deal. They're all coming to spring me. He's thinking this is all going to happen. You know, Jason Bourne's coming. <laughs> you know, I, I have a question for you. I mean, I, I, how many of you think that, you know, here's the deal. Jesus did not break him out. He didn't. Jesus did not send a nine-foot-tall angel to blow open the doors. Jesus just kept, kind of kept going along, doing his ministry, and John waited, and John waited, and John waited. I mean, I, am I the only one who thinks? I mean, I, I, how many of you think that maybe John the Baptist's faith started to waver? I mean, anybody here think that maybe that? A few of us, okay. So, and, and some people think that, you, so the rest of you, or some of you are saying, I'm not voting because you're going to make me look funny if I vote. Okay, fair enough. I wouldn't have done that to you this time, but next time, watch out. Okay, so actually, I really think that, that John the Baptist acted like exactly what he was, a human being. And, and I think he did what I would have, he probably did what I probably would have done, and that's start to have some questions, start to wonder. And so to get the answer to this is, yes, I think he really did have some wavering. And to find that out, we have to go to Matthew's gospel where he describes what's going on here. And we see this in Matthew 11, starting in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Now stop there for a second. John's in prison, blood relatives, he's in big trouble, and his own disciples are showing up, but Jesus hasn't even come to visit him in jail. So he says, go ask him this question for me. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else. In other words, I've been out preparing the way for you, but maybe are you the one? Maybe there's somebody else that we're supposed to, you know, and some, some scholars look at this and they say, you know, John's faith was absolutely unwavering. He sent his disciples because they would have their faith built up if they saw Jesus performing miracles, doing these things. Okay, so that's, that's what some scholars, but the majority of scholars, I think, that are out there say, no, John was struggling here. He was struggling. And uh, I think that John is capable of struggling because I think even Jesus was capable of struggling. We'll come to that later. But he was struggling. Should we expect somebody else? And how does Jesus reply to him? What is Jesus' answer? Here's what Jesus doesn't say. Hey, hey, settle down. At midnight, the team will arrive. I hired Perry Mason. He's going to spring you. you know, that's stuff that Jesus did not say. Here's how Jesus replied in verses 4 and 5. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's all really good stuff. But they're supposed to go back now and tell imprisoned John the Baptist that he's healing people. That's great. That amazing miracle. You should see him. He even did this Water into wine thing, which has been a problem for the Baptists, because <laughs> John. The ba- okay, no, I, I tried that joke before and it didn't go anywhere. Okay, so, so what's all that mean to John? You can see I'm dense. I don't get it the first time. Okay, what does all that mean though to John? I mean, he's he's saying, you know, wait a second. Jesus has time to do a party trick. That's how terse I would be. But he doesn't have time to come help his blood relative subordinate, servant, faithful 
help spring me from prison. And I think that there's a good possibility that in those moments, John had a God calibrator running. You know, I need God to do the right thing here. Where is he? But then Jesus' response hits ground zero because it continues with what he said. He said, also this, to tell him this, he said, blessed, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Wait, you're healing other people. You're doing miracles for complete strangers. And you're telling me, bless if I don't stumble on account of you. And you didn't even come to tell me that yourself. You, 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 you send, and I've been serving you. This does not make sense. So what happens? Well, Jesus stays on what he's doing. He's, he's out there pushing the good news of the gospel. He's you know, doing miracles. He's doing what God had sent him to do. And John the Baptist continues to wait faithfully, even though he's in prison. And Herod, this, the ungodly villain, throws this, decides to throw this big old birthday party, and um, that's where Herodias' daughter comes in, and she does this dance. And um, you know, according to um, a, a historian named Flavius Josephus, this is Herod's niece. She comes in to do this dance. And tradition holds that the dance that she did was some sort of a sordid dance that was so wonderful that the men would follow her and do anything, and and, uh, that could be. But it may not be accurate. That may not be what happened in that dance. And and the reason I question it, and not all all people who study this will come to the same conclusion, but I question whether that's what it was, because the word that describes um, Herodias' daughter is a Greek word, um, kordesion, and, and it really means a damsel or a young girl. The only other place that particular word is used anywhere in the New Testament is when Jesus raised a 12-year-old pre-puberty girl up from the dead. So the word described here for, her, for the daughter is, 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 is not a young woman. She's a girl. She's not developed physically into a sexual, you know, a woman, a mature woman yet. There's n- none of that seems to be present. And there's nothing in the word of God that says that the dance was um, what tradition says. So I don't know what was going on there. It could have been an absolutely endearing moment of a little girl. And I've got a granddaughter, and I'll tell you, every moment I have with that little girl is endearing. She can have all my kingdom, not just half, if she just asks. <laughs> and um, so something happens there, and... And um, the king really, really likes it. And he, he starts to show off in front of, you know, all of these guests. And he says to her, hey, I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom. And he's probably figuring, you know, I know what she's going to want, young girl. She's going to want an iPhone. Or, or she's going to want a pony. Or maybe she just wants two tickets to Justin Bieber's concert. <laughs> Who's Justin Bieber? I don't know. Lisa gave this to me from her collection. Okay, so. <laughs> so she goes to her mother. Cut that picture off. Um, so she goes to her mother and her Herodias and says, you know, what do I ask for? Herodias, hey, here's what you asked for. John the Baptist's head. Talk about a parent leading a child. There is a mistake. 
And the girl says to the king, I want John the Baptist's head. He says, okay. And this is where, if you're new, if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know the Bible, this is where this story gets really, really amazing because, you know, as the guards go for John, an earthquake comes and this angel with two flaming swords of fire comes and strikes the people and strikes them all blind except for what he says, you have to watch this and the shackles fall off and the fire of God lands on everybody else and then out comes John the Baptist yelling, freedom! (laughs) (laughs) Then the city fathers award him a brand new Ferrari chariot and he marries a smoking hot model, and she likes locusts, and they have a dog and name it Herodias. <laughs> but if you know your Bible, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. That kind of stuff, the earthquakes and the cell doors flinging open, does happen. But it doesn't happen in this particular circumstance to this particular servant of God. This guy who had faithfully been doing what he was supposed to do and here's what did happen, starting in verse 26. The king was greatly distressed, because, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. He didn't want to kill John. But he uh, gave his word, and now he's trapped by his own words, the promise that he made. Verse 27, so he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. The word platter there is actually charger. For those of you who like to decorate at Thanksgiving with a charger on a plate, you ladies know what I'm talking about. And um, so I want to read just the last part of that story again, but I want to remember the context here. John the Baptist has been serving Jesus faithfully. He's he's been saying, I'm going to decrease so that he can increase. I'm unworthy to even tie the sandals, untie his sandals. You know, don't, don't follow me, follow him. He's the one. I'm here to prepare the way. You know, repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. That's the kind of stuff. And, and Jesus has the miraculous power to save him. And verse 27 says, the man went and beheaded John in the prison. That's what I was talking about when I said, I don't like how this ends. Because that's where we look on and we look at this and we say, this does not fit my American version of Christianity. You know, where I get the promotion and, you know, I get the new house and I never get sick. And so this whole thing of losing his head, this doesn't feel right. But if we can disconnect from those emotions and ask, you know, what, what has happened here? Here's, here's what we do know. First off, John's direction, his purpose was fulfilled. He was there to prepare the way for the Lord, and he actually accomplished that. And more important, God's purpose was being fulfilled. The blind see, the deaf hear, the gospel is proclaimed. We see that both things happen here. Um, John's and God's purposes came to pass. It didn't just come to pass the way that John had planned. God's will comes to pass but just not the way that John had planned. Proverbs 19, 21 talks about this. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart. This is what I want. This is what I want. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans in John's heart, but it was the Lord's purpose that prevailed. Many are the plans in your heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. And I I can share with you, you know, some stories in my own life. Some of these are old. You've heard them, and some of them maybe not. I mean, old story is when, you know, we were, our family was serving the Lord and, you know, doing, giving our life and following and being as righteous as we could and our daughter starts having seizures and it gets diagnosed with epilepsy and we said, God, what is the deal with this? And we prayed and there was a miraculous, truly documented miraculous healing in our daughter's life. She's healed. That's, that's the one we like. Another one, my father had a massive heart attack and the doctor said, get the family together and it was really over and we prayed and God raised him up, healed him. Years later, many years later, he he is informed you have cancer and it's unto death. And we prayed and he, we did the prayer, same kind of stuff as before, same family serving the Lord, same righteousness present that was because of Jesus, all that kind of stuff. He died. Today, Lisa and I are praying, and I didn't mention names and I won't mention names, but we're praying for a very close friend who's been a friend of our family since our children were little. She was one of the children that our children grew up with. I mean, when I say grew up with, I really mean grew up with. She spent time in our home. Our families took vacations together. The kids play. They know each other. They've just grown up together. And um, when this young lady friend of ours was about 20-ish, she had a form of cancer that was curable, and it was cured. Set a clean record for 17 years or however, a long time, almost two decades now. She's married now, and she got pregnant for the first time probably four or five months ago, so she's pregnant, and uh, a few weeks ago, the doctor said to her, you have a... V-. She had some unexpected, uh, unexpected visit to the emergency room. You have a very rare form of mesothelioma that has nothing to do with asbestos, and the answer here is not good, and the treatment here is not good for your baby. And this is her first, it's her only child. And she's, we don't see her all the time, but she's kind of like a daughter to us in many ways. And I I could get into this argument, God, you know, (laughs) this family that she's a part of, and they have served you with their lives. I have known them going back decades. And I, I just hate what's happening. I just hate what's happening there. I just, but I'm not in despair. What you're not looking at is a guy that's in despair because I refuse to, to, to get out some kind of God calibrator and, you know, of my own construction and say, you know, as if, as if somehow I have the ability or the responsibility or the right to somehow measure God's heart. I'm just not going to allow myself to go there. That is a black hole. I'm not going there. And, and here's why. God's word is true. Whether our circumstances cause us to feel like that or not at any given moment. But God's word is true. And he is so faithful. God is always faithful. He's so faithful that you do not have to understand the plan in order to trust God's purpose. There's a purpose at work. Many are the plans in the man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. You don't have to understand what's going on to continue to trust in God. You don't have to like the plan to trust God's purpose. And some of you in this room, 
you've got some really upper level, I mean, very personal, very urgent problems right now. Some of you have been praying for somebody that, that's sick and that you love, and they're not getting better. Or maybe you have prayed for someone that you loved, and they did not get better, and they, they could have been healed, but they weren't healed, and they didn't make it. Some of you, you've worked really, really hard at your job, and you're good at it, and your employer, you know, the economy, and you don't have a job right now. And you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? And I was in my prayers, you know, preparing this, and I know the Lord spoke to me that there are, there are, there are a couple of people present in this room right now where you, you suffer from constant discouragement. Or, and someone else, there's pain throughout your body. And you've been everywhere, and you've done all kinds of different treatments, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed. And everybody you know has been praying for you. And the problem's still there, and you just don't understand why. You do not have to understand God's plan in order to trust his purpose. He's still good. And we don't interpret the goodness of God through our circumstances. We do the opposite. We interpret our circumstances through the goodness of God. Through the goodness of God. If you serve God long enough, if you live long enough, you're going to hit one of those times when you say, you know, why did that happen, God? Why? I just don't get it. Why is this happening? And we don't have to understand everything in order to continue to trust God. And my tendency, Terry's tendency is, I want to know the plan. Ask Lisa, you know. I've already pinned her down. What's going on next week? I need to know each day. So I have this picture in my mind. I want to know the plan. Drives you nuts, doesn't it, honey? You can admit it. You love me too. I love you too. Yes. Okay, you can have your Justin Bieber pictures. <laughs> you know, when I do stuff like this, everybody looks at her. Let's all look at her. <laughs> okay. But my tendency is to say, you know, I want to know the plan. God, come on, just share the plan with me. I'll be good to go. Trust me, God. Tell me the plan. And God just may sometimes, in answer to that question, when you ask it, God, I want to know what you're up to here. He may not tell you the plan. He may just say, you know, trust my purpose, Terry. I've got a purpose at work here. I'm not going to tell you the plan. I want you to trust my purpose. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And so we get to the place where our faith is not in our plan. Our faith is in God's purpose. It's no longer in my plan. This is how I would plan it. This is how I would do it. No, it's not in that. But, but instead, my faith is in God's purpose. Even Jesus experienced this. He was, you know, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he knew what was coming towards him. He knew the pain of the cross that was coming, and he cries out. And, and you can read about this in Scripture. He says, God would you just remove this cup? And he's talking there about a cup of suffering. He's talking about the suffering that he's going to endure. Nevertheless, he says, not my plan, but your purpose. It's basically what he's saying there. He's saying, okay, you've got a purpose here. He goes on. Another point, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you hearing me? Why are you listening? Are you there, God? Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. And now, 
we're a couple of thousand years later and everything that we believe and understand about God's love hangs around a single moment of God appearing to be inattentive to Jesus. But God loved you and me so much that he was willing to let his son suffer and pay a price that you and I could never pay in order for Jesus' purpose to be fulfilled, to save you and me. When God doesn't make sense and we cry out, you know, heal, heal, Lord, or do a miracle, there are a lot of times that God's going to hear that prayer and you're going to see something wonderful happen and you're going to see the goodness of God in a very obvious way that you would plan. There are going to be other times that we have plans and we have prayers and things don't go the way we think they will. Many are the plans in man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's why we don't put our, put our hope and our faith in our plans, but instead we, we, we continue to trust God's purpose. If you do not understand the plan, and right now that's where I am with my friend, I don't understand. But I still will continue to trust in the goodness of God, even when it doesn't make sense. Let's pray. Lord, um, this truth wants to build our faith. It wants us to, to choose to...